Matthew 20. So if you've got your Bibles, as I heard Pete Moody say the other week, so turn your Bibles on. I like that. <laughs> um, this is the last, the sixth and the last in the series that we're doing that we've called Kingdom, which is about the parables that Jesus told. Uh, spoke from Matthew, from Matthew's Gospel. And um, today we're in Matthew 20, but to understand the parable at the beginning of Matthew 20, which is the parable of the vineyard workers who all get the same pay, you'll recognize it if you've seen it before. Um, to understand that parable, we've got to understand the context of the parable and what is being addressed in that parable. In chapter 19 of Matthew is the, that occasion where the young guy comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one's good except for God alone. That's important. Uh, we'll get back to that later. No one's good. And he says, you know the commandments. Jesus says to this guy, you know, don't commit adultery, don't murder, all that sort of thing. And the, the guy goes, well, I've done all that since I was a little boy. And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, um, do this. Sell all of your stuff and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And the guy went away sad because he had many possessions. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, oh, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven? It's, it'd be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it says the disciples were astounded at that. Why were they astounded at that? Because in that culture, in Jewish culture of that day, the rich were closer to God. That is, those blessed by God were blessed with wealth. They had the prosperity doctrine on, on tap in that space, if you like. That is, if you were wealthy, you were blessed. If you, if you were well-to-do, if you were a landowner, if you had estates and employees and you know, servants and that sort of thing, then you were the top of the pile, not just in the way the world understands it, but in, in God's economy, in the, in the kingdom of God. So in their worldview, the, the, the more well-to-do you were, the closer to God you were. So when Jesus totally undermines that and just says, how hard is it for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven? They are astounded. Well, who then can be saved? They say. And then Jesus says, well, things that are impossible here are possible for God, basically. Nothing's impossible with God. And then Peter, who's often watches his thoughts happen outside of his head, um, and so if you, I'm like that too, and other people are like that. If you're like that, you've got some empathy with Peter here. You can, you can kind of feel him thinking through this. Okay, so the hierarchy's not what I thought it was. The rich aren't at the top of the pile. Uh, so then he says this to Jesus. Um, I think I've got this up here. Oh, isn't it? Okay. Oh, well, you can look at it in Matthew chapter 20. In, verse 20, in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27... Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? What will we get? In the kingdom of Jesus, when we give our lives to you to follow you, what, what will we get? All the time and the money and the sacrifices that we've made, what do I get in the kingdom? This is a question that we all ask. Maybe not out loud, but in our own hearts. Okay, Jesus, well, what is the pecking order then? And what do I get? 
So the parable we're looking at today answers this question. Jesus answered it, first of all, at the end of chapter 19, very directly. He says, I assure you that when the world's made new and the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the, tribes of, the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who's given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. It's a very direct answer to Peter's question, what will we get? Now, it's not literal, as in, don't give up your house and just wait for a hundred houses to turn up. Um, that's, Jesus is just saying, what will you get? You'll get everything. You, won't, you, you can't give up something that you won't get lots more back from in the kingdom. You, you give up your life for my sake and you'll get all you need and more. That's the... Well, that's what Jesus is saying. Very directly to this question, what will we get? You'll get all you need and more. In this life and into eternal life. But, he says, but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. That's an, that's an extrapolation in the New Living. It literally just says the first will be last and the last will be first. So what will we get? We'll get everything. All you need are more. But the first will be last and the last will be first. Because what Jesus wants to teach Peter and the disciples, it's just the disciples he's talking to here, um, is not that you'll get everything, bit, although that's important in the, in the story, but what does he mean by the first will be last and the last will be first? So you get everything but, but, Peter, the first will be last and the last will be first. What does that mean? What does it mean? Well, like all things that are often, all things, often when things are difficult for our human minds to understand, Jesus communicates them with a parable. And that's what he's going to do here. So if, you, if you're not sure what Jesus means about the first and last thing, um, but you don't care, then you can leave if you like. <laughs> but, if you, but if you want your hearts, soft hearts and open eyes to what Jesus means by this in the kingdom, then listen to this story, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 1. For, for the kingdom of heaven is explaining the first will be last and the last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, uh, by the way, that kind of early in the morning, that's like 6am, that's the start of the working day. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard at noon, and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town and he saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why, have you been, why haven't you been working today? They replied, no one has hired us. The landowner said, then go and join others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. 
Those people worked only one hour and yet you've paid them just as much as, as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my own money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So, those who are last will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Now, you might be thinking, going, I don't get it. (laughs) In fact, I've heard people say, this is one of the hardest parables to actually understand. What is Jesus talking about here? And I've heard this applied to all kinds of things, to fair pay, to work ethics, to... um, So anyway, I thought, what does he mean? What does he mean? So Friday morning last week, I'm reading through this again, and I'm thinking, what is the the way I can preach this? What's going to help most? And I gave it to my 18-year-old son, Matthew. Um, Now, Matthew, some of the time, Matthew would not be capable of of that sort of endeavor because he's, and lately too, Matthew has been off the charts anxious coming towards the end of year 12. So for those who don't know, he has high-functioning autism. He's happy for me to tell you this. Um, and um, and he, he's, his life is a stressful life most of the time. So, uh, some of you, a lot of you know him, and nearly all of you are beautiful with him, which is awesome. Anyway, but, but this day he was in a chipper mood. So I said, can you read this story about Jesus that Jesus told? He's answering the question, the first will be last and the last will be first, with this story. And what do you think he's trying to communicate here? And so he read through the stories at the breakfast table, he looks up and he says, duh. <laughs> and he said, I think Jesus is saying this. It's never too late to come home. I went, wow. You know, soft hearts, open eyes. And the hungry will see. Let me explain why he's right. This parable, what does the day represent? What is the whole day, the working day, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m.? This is the life of a human, yeah? This is our, this is sun up to sundown, this is our life. Who's the landowner in the story? Well, oh, it's God. Um, it is, we know that too. In Matthew, make sure we know that because at the end of this, when he says uh, in verse 15, should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? The, the actual wording there is, is your eye evil because I am good? And that's important because the good there is the same good that in, the earlier, in chapter 19 where Jesus says, don't call me good, no one's good except God alone. So very clearly, in a literary sense, Matthew's placing this landowner as God. This is God. Look at the behaviour of the landowner. Look what he's doing all of the time here. So he comes himself. Well, here's the first thing that's startling. So he's a, Jesus is telling this story. People would under, the disciples would understand. This was the custom. Harvest time, depending on weather and things, there were just days that you had to get all the harvest in. And, so, and also there was Roman occupation. It was hard to get work that way. And so the laborers would come and they would just wait in the marketplace, especially around harvest time. And the representatives from different kind of places around would come and hire workers for the day. Um, and it was, it was kind of the, 
It was the deal. You got a day's wage if you did a day's work um, in that uh, scenario. Now, what's strange about, uh, what's remarkable about the story for the disciples would be this guy is a, is a landowner who has a vineyard that's like upmarket. He's prestigious and he's wealthy and, um, and he's coming himself to hire the workers, which they didn't normally do. Okay, so that's already you've got this idea of this, um, of this very well-to-do landowner who is lowering himself to be able to interact directly with uh, the workers there. He comes at 6 a.m., which is customary, and he hires the people there. You get a very strong sense through this parable that the other people that he hires weren't there at 6 o'clock. So he hires those people who are there and sets them to work in the vineyard. At 9 o'clock, he's coming back through probably, well, it doesn't say, but not to hire workers necessarily. He just happens to notice them there. There's people standing around, and he says, you can go and work too. And then he comes back at 12 o'clock, and there's more people that he hadn't seen before, you go and work too. Then he comes back at 3 o'clock, you go and work too. He comes back with less than an hour left in the day, like right at the end of everyone's life, if you like, and there's people, and he's almost surprised, what are you still doing here? No one hired us. Well, go, go now. Work in the vineyard. This is the behavior of the landowner in this parable. Just inviting, 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 inviting. And what's the payment in the... What's the, what's the, what's the wage, if you like? It's just what you need that day. So what's motivating the landowner in this story? Is he worried about his grapes? What's Jesus presenting here? What's, he, what's his concern? His concern is that people get what they need. His concern is that these people who are standing around not doing anything get to work, get enough to feed their families, get provided for with all they needed more. And the payment is entirely based on what? On the, the mercy or the grace or the giving or the, the heart of the landowner to provide. He wants to provide. He wants to provide. You notice that when he says, um, when he's responding to the complaint and he says, I wanted to pay this worker the same as you. Like, I wanted to do that. This is the kingdom and is your eye evil because I am good? This is what this is the this is the uh, rebuke back to Peter or the or the challenge or the or the the, the, the character shaping question back into Peter's question. What do we get? Is your eye evil because I am good? What does he mean? Is your eye evil because I am good? Not just are you jealous because I am generous? We all know that kind of. Um, Scenario, you know, when you give one child a lolly and they go, Ooh, Oh, cool, I got a lolly, and you give the other one an ice cream, and then the guy with the lolly goes, That's not fair. You know, a minute ago they were happy as anything, um, and now they're feeling ripped off. Or you know that you get a pay rise and you go, Woohoo, and then you find out your, your colleague got a higher pay rise than you did. You go, That is not fair. Well, these things just rise up in us that way, even when we've received something generously. But it's more than just, are you jealous because I am generous? Now, this evil eye is, have you got, have you got a, uh, an eye that, that, this is the sinful eye, this is the not God eye. This is the, I'm going to take credit for the things that God does kind of eye. This is Adam and Eve in the garden saying, no, no, 
We want to know all of this stuff. We will, we will make our own decisions about stuff and, and, and we will be, you know, like this is the, temp, the, the temptation of the serpent to the people in the Garden of Eden to you'll be like God. This is, this is, this is us. This is us when we go, when God gives us all this mercy and grace and we just want to take credit for it. We just want to say, this was, I earned this. This was mine. This belongs to me now. Is your eye evil because I'm good? This is, this is language like, well, all of my sweat and, and blood and, and tears and sacrifice went into this place. So I should get more of a say in what happens here. Is your eye evil because I'm good? This is, well, I've been you know, giving and giving and giving to this church for years and years and years and years and years. So how come I don't get more say in where all of that money goes? Is your eye evil? Because I am good. This is, well, I've, been, I've done the right thing for my whole life and I've, for years and years and years and years. And, and how come that Johnny-come-lately gets the same standing in this community that, that I get? Jesus would say, is your eye evil because I am good? Are you taking the things that God has given you? Am I taking the things that God has given me? He's just given them to me and gone, that's mine. Like the people who are not working in this parable. So I'm standing around in the marketplace and I haven't got work yet. Just put yourself in their shoes for a second. What are they thinking? I've got no food for my family in this story. And what are the people who are working in the vineyard in the scorching heat thinking? This is hard work, but what? My family's going to eat tonight. So who's privileged in this story? And if we've known Jesus our whole lives... And we've known eternal life our whole lives. And we've known that we're going to be okay our whole lives. And somebody just at the 11th hour says, even though they've been living a, a, a life way away from God, doing whatever they wanted, pleasing themselves and stuff, and then they come to Christ right at the end of their life, who's had the better life? Is your eye evil because I am good? Everything we have is a gift from God. This is what Jesus is saying. I just want to provide for everyone. What do we get? You get everything. You get all you need. And so does everybody else in the kingdom. What do you get? You get everything. You get all you need and more. You get all you need and more. And so does everybody else in the kingdom. I was telling this story to someone else this week. And they said, I think what bothers me about other people kind of getting stuff that I don't think they necessarily deserve is I worry that there won't be enough to go around anymore, you know? Like, I think they're stealing some of my provision for the future that way. But that's human thinking. How much grace has God got? How much mercy has God got? How much life has God got to pour out on everyone who he invites back this way? Jesus often does this, parables often do this. Uh, somebody asks a question and Jesus just goes, you know, I can give a direct answer to that question, but it's not going to answer your question because it's kind of the wrong question. It's, a, it's the wrong focus for the question. It's like when the, when the, um, 
when the guy says, uh, and who is my neighbour? You know, Jesus says, love your neighbour as yourself. He says, who is my neighbour? And Jesus says, uh, I have to tell you a story about a good Samaritan to show you that who is my neighbour is not the question. The question is, will you be a neighbour you know, to the people around you? Uh, that's what we should do, you know, because go and do that. Go and be a neighbour is the answer to the who is my neighbour. And then, like this one too, what do we get? Jesus is like, oh my goodness, who's that focus on? It's just, what do I get? That's me, that's all me. Jesus wants us to lift our eyes from what do we get to, you get all you need and more, you get all you need and more, you get all you need and more, so does everyone in the kingdom and it's never too late to come home. That's why I say this, the answer to this question, what do we get? One of the best answers is it's never too late to come home. Because it moves the focus of the question away from this, what do I get, to what is the kingdom doing? And the kingdom is saying to everyone, it's never too late to come home. Why haven't you been hired yet? Why aren't you working yet? Why aren't you in the vineyard yet? Just come. Just come. Just come. You'll get all you need and more. You'll get all you need and more. Because it's never too late to come home. So how do we apply that? First, there's this challenge to our hearts whenever we're tempted to claim the grace of God as our merit. To be more Christian than someone else to be more deserving in the church than anyone else. There's a challenge to our heart. So it's all grace. It's all grace. It's all from God. He pays what he wants to. And every day I spend with Jesus is a privilege. It's given to me. It's a gift. I'm receiving. I'm not earning anything. So first, it's a challenge to our own hearts. And second, as you've heard, as Matthew articulated so well, it's a challenge to our attitude towards every other person who's not a Christian, who's not in the vineyard. That our whole heart for them should be, come and work, come and work. Join us, join us, because it's never too late to come home. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this story that Jesus used to answer this question. And I pray that you stir our hearts to be people that live in gratitude to you for your grace poured out into our lives, for your provision for us, for your love for us, for this peace that we have access to that passes all understanding. Father, I pray that you return us to a place where we recognize that we earn nothing and we receive everything from you. Give us eyes to celebrate not just our own salvation but the salvation of everyone around us, Jesus, and also a hunger to see the lost brought home because there's more, more of your life than we even understand. Help us to live in the abundance of grace that you pour on us and help us to extend that to others, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.